Tom, are you okay? I lost her. Her? She was going to be this epic, trilogy-worthy character. I was going to be the hottest writer in Hollywood. But I can't get past Act One! You need some writer's group therapy. Hello and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers. Are you ready for your session? The doctors are in. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. You can find us online at writersgrouptherapy.com. Also on Twitter and Instagram at WG Therapy and individually. I'm Tom underscore Loveman on Twitter, Tom Loveman on Instagram, and now Tom Loveman on Twitch. Yes, definitely follow him because the games he plays are super fun. And I am at Moon Lily Music on Instagram and at Roshni Lumino on Twitter. Tis the season, not Christmas season anymore, but a new not year. Holidays. Happy 2020. Award season. <laughs> yes. Uh, we had our first big award show recently, the Golden Globes. Some big surprises there, huh? And some shutouts. I was surprised. Some shutouts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was very, uh, very happy for Aquafina for her her win. That was really cool. Mm, Quentin Tarantino won for uh, best uh, was it uh, best uh, screenplay for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That was pretty exciting for his take on the uh, Sharon Tate murder. I was surprised that The Irishman did not get anything because it was so hyped up. Well, did you watch it? No. <laughs> okay well spoiler alert. we're going to talk about a lot of stuff this episode that's going to be spoiler so just if you haven't seen every movie that's out just no, stop no the irishman i i was i really enjoyed it but it was like over three hours long it took me three sittings to get through it so i think maybe people were turned off by that really and it wasn't perfect i mean it was a it was good storytelling and the acting was great and the uh it was really well done but it, it wasn't it, you know it's not it's not the next, you know, Godfather, that's for sure. You know, it's, it's, uh, it was kind of light. I don't know. I feel like it was just all these, uh, you know, uh, good fella guys getting to play, play their roles once more and have fun with it. You know, it's funny though. I think a lot of times with awards and award season in general, it all comes down to the hype. It's like more, the more you hear about a movie or a TV show, the more you're like, oh yeah, that one's going to win. Uh, That's how it feels to me. Well, you know, it depends on the awards. Obviously, each of these uh, awards is judged by different groups. The Oscars is only, I think, 7,000 voters. They keep increasing it, though. They're trying to make it more diverse. Uh, This award center, the the Golden Gloves, is voted on by the Hollywood Foreign Press. You know, they're more in the the media spotlight, obviously, because they are the media. So maybe maybe they are influenced by hype more than... than, Academy vo- voters, mm. you know, That's who are more industry, more industry insider, I guess you could say, or connected at least. Mm-hmm. So, which one were you really happy about? Like, yay, that one won, and I was rooting for that one. Uh, well, the Joker. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't. I like the Joker a lot as a as as like entertainment value. It was so dark. I. I I didn't love it, but I thought the characterization was so wonderful and the way that that character was brought to life by Joaquin and everything was just really perfect. So uh, as far as 
you know, kind of a alternate to big blockbuster superhero movers. Here's a kind of a almost a smaller indie feel movie, mm-hmm. but it's about a character from a huge franchise. And I thought it did a really good, you know, the the characterization and the the dialogue and everything that he said and did and really brought that character's truth to the screen. And I, I'm really glad they won. So you know, it's surprising because um I mean, it was, his performance was amazing, but usually I feel that comic, certain things like comic book uh, movies or big high fantasy movies or something like that don't really, don't really get awards or don't get, maybe for like special effects, but not for, you know, writing or acting or the quote unquote big awards. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, in in genre, superhero and sci-fi movies don't generally get nominations at all unless they're visual effects. Mm -hmm. So to even have nominations was fantastic, even though they didn't win, you know, the big ones. I can't say, you know, I think all the winners were totally deserving. So I uh, the one I I haven't seen yet that I really want to see is uh, Parasite, which won Best Foreign Language Film. So that's one of the top of my to see list. I hope it shows up back in theaters now that it's uh, it won. Because it was in the theaters for only a very short time. I was going to say, I heard a lot of good things about it. And then it just kind of was in and out of theaters like, what, a week or two? Maybe not that short, but it, it, felt it was there for, Yeah. Well, it was there. And then it wasn't until the buzz started to happen that people were like, oh, this is like the best movie of the year or whatever. Yeah. And you, you didn't even know about it. So you had to figure out where it was so you could go see it. And by then it was already gone. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah. So sometimes, uh, and yeah, so when the nominations and the awards come out, you're like, "What movie? What movie won it?" Because <laughs> it, you know, it was so so briefly exhibited. So speaking of nominations, we've also got the Writers Guild nominations mm-hmm. coming up. Uh, they well, the nominations came out, um, and uh, oh, I had it right here. Uh, it's it's uh, the awards are given out February first at the Beverly Hilton. Uh, this is the Writers Guild. Um, you guys all know who that is. The the nominations that they nominate their own people for. I'm really. I think it's a good a good uh, list of nominations. The best original screenplay, 1917, Booksmart, Knives Out, Murray's Story, and Parasite are the top original screenplays. And then the adapted are Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, and Little Women, which I just saw, which was fantastic. Did you? I wanted to see that. I'm glad to hear that. Oh, it, it was really good. Yeah. yeah. I um, Just a great ensemble. You know, we see so many movies, and we're going to talk about Star Wars here in a bit, that fail, and you know, but their fan, you know, fan service and all that kind of stuff, you know, they get a huge uh, box office. They have huge media, and they succeed even though they're not perfect, even if they're far from perfect. But here's like a little... F- you know, pretty, uh, it's called a little film, Little Women, uh, but I'm sure it had a decent budget. It was, you know, a period piece and it had fantastic, you know, costumes and sets. It had a great, wonderful cast of young actor actors and you know, actresses. And uh, I just felt after I watched the movie that this is a story, this is a, a narrative that just worked on almost every level. Like there's a little bit of uh, non-linearness to it because they go from the, you know, the uh, skip from the future to the past or the present to the future, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's not sci-fi, but they're just telling the story from two different time perspectives. That was a little disjarring, but other than that, I just felt like the dialogue flowed so perfectly. The characterizations were so, you know, each of the characters has their own really unique, you know, voice and, and characterization. 
And um, I felt like, wow, I want to write movies that are that tight that just have have uh, give you so little room to complain or to pick away at the you know at the um, at the content of it. You know, you can kind of pick on the the nonlinear kind of methodology, but that's more of an editing kind of thing. It's not a writing thing so much, but because mm-hmm. you could you could rearrange those scenes in different orders and it would be fine. You know. Yeah, really one of my favorite movies, um, well, I guess it was, did I see it this year or last year? I think I actually saw it this year, so it. Uh, I'm kind of wondering when it when it actually came out. I guess it still counts in the uh, last year's uh, Little movie, Women, so. it came out uh, right around Christmas time. So yeah, so it counts as 2019 for the awards, yeah. yeah. So I was going to say it was my favorite movie of the year, but I didn't see it last year. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say, I mean, as far as like tight writing goes, it has very good source material. Have you read the book or seen any other? Uh, of course, yeah. It's in, I haven't read the book, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's obviously based on a time-tested, you know, classic. So it has that going for it. But still, you have to adapt that. Um, and it's been adapted before, but um, Greta uh, Gerwig, who wrote the screenplay, just did a really great job of, you know, adapting it. Mm-hmm. And again, it's about, you know, we, there's so many places you can go to see people pick on movies and everything, the, the everything wrong with cinema sins and all these other places that pick apart movies. And I just feel like there's so few places to pick away at this one. It's just done so tightly. And it really makes me want to write movies that, that are that tight that, you know, people can enjoy and not be distracted by the flaws. Yeah. Because we'll all be like, oh, I love this movie, but oh, we know it had problems. But, you know, because I'm a fan, I'll give it a I'll give it a break. Yeah. You shouldn't speaking have to of, give them breaks. Speaking of adaptations, um, we just started watching His Dark Materials on HBO. Oh. Have you ever read the source material for that? I've, I've read them all. It's a wonderful series. And, yeah. and I was disappointed with the first attempt to do the movie with uh, Nicole Kidman back oh. uh the movie last uh, when was that in the 90s i think yeah i mean i I still like the movie i thought the movie itself was good but i was sad that it didn't do better because they weren't able to continue it which would have hopefully helped flush out the story because the problem is they you know it's a trilogy of the original one's basically a trilogy and i felt like um it didn't get a chance to to kind of get to the real meat of what was going on I think it's because there's so much world building that has to happen mm-hmm. for you to understand why certain things are important. I mean, it's one thing to be like, oh, look, you know, this is my spirit animal. It's my personality in animal form. But there's actually like a lot more things that go into it. And uh, the series so far does a much better job of setting that up because it is a TV series versus a two and a half hour movie. So they have, it's a slow burn, but it, it takes that time to set up the world building. So I think this one shows a lot more promise. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> cool. I'm glad because I want to see it. I haven't had a chance to, I'm kind of waiting to um, sort out which streaming series I'm streaming services I'm keeping and whatnot before I subscribe to anything else. Cause I'm, I've got too many of them now. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there, I know HBO has that. And then the Watchmen, which just finished, finished which i want to see the, the series based on the the graphic novels and i won't be able to do that unless i subscribe to hbo so i'm kind of ti- trying to time that out to when i have time to watch it all i do miss regular broadcasts where you could just kind of flip through things and find a favorite show and, and call it good because it is a little i think we're going between hbo and netflix right now but it's like oh my goodness you know there's just too many 
too many things. And then, you know, you want to watch other shows like The Mandalorian that everyone's talking about. And I'm like, yeah, another streaming service. I just can't handle it. Well, and Disney kind of locked everyone into an annual subscription early on. They, they offered a deal if you subscribe for the year. And so now everybody, uh, I guess, I don't know, I guess not everybody did that because uh, they, there's been kind of a rush to, to cancel Disney Plus now that The Mandalorian season has ended. So I don't know, they're not publishing any kind of numbers, but it's mostly based on anecdotal uh, counts on social media where people are like, okay, I can cancel Disney Plus now because they feel like there's nothing else there they want to see. But I think there's still going to be, uh, well, there's a lot more shows coming. They're, they announced the uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi spinoff is coming with Ewan McGregor. There's going to be new Marvel shows. There, I, I think there's going to be value there that it's going to be worth it. There are some Star Wars fans that only tuned in for The Mandalorian, which was, as far as I'm concerned, fantastic. That was like watching a movie over eight hours. But when you think about it, so eight hours later, you only really have to, if you're going to go crazy binging, you really only have to dedicate a week to it. Then you cancel True. and you wait for like the next three months or something till the new series comes out or whatever. Right. So Yeah. I kind of game those two, like CBS All Access only had one show I cared about. That was the uh, Star Trek Discovery show. Mm-hmm. So over the last two seasons, I would subscribe, watch the, watch the season, then unsubscribe. And when the second season came out, I kind of waited till half the season was already out, then subscribe. So I would be able to kind of binge the first half as I catch up and watch the second half. So it could minimize how often I had to, how many months I had to subscribe to it. So I think a lot of people are doing that. You know, the uh, HBO has always never cared if people did that because they knew people, their subscriptions would skyrocket when Game of Thrones started and then would plumb, you know, take a dive as soon as the season ended. Mm -hmm. So they just kind of factor that into their their business model, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that is actually an interesting thing because how we write has changed due to streaming because you want to write a concise season and put it out all at once versus the broadcast model where you go, you know, week by week and you might not know what you're doing from week one to week 15, but yeah, how we consume has probably changed it. The traditional, you know, uh, TV season uh, where the writers come in, you know, in August, start writing the episodes that are going to be going to production in September. And, you know, by the middle of the year, they're writing the episodes, it's filming tomorrow, that kind of thing. And and trying to get through the end of the year mm-hmm. doesn't happen as much anymore. In fact, I, I went to a thing about Downton Abbey, Julian Fellows would write the entire season and then they would film it, you know, and then it would go on the air eventually. It's kind of more like that method is uh, what the cable, the cable, some of the cable networks and the streaming networks do is they produce whole seasons when they want to at the pace they want to. And then they launch it, you know, and uh, for binge watching, whenever they want to, some are doing weekly, you know, uh, Apple TV plus is still doing, uh, I think they launched with three episodes of most of their shows and then followed it up weekly after that. So some of them are still doing a staggered release, but those shows are also 10, 12 episodes, most of them. So they're not, you know, running 22, 24 episodes. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of seasons, Right now is pilot season, but maybe not for writers. So let's talk about a timeline as a writer, when you should be writing that pilot, pitching that pilot, what it means during, yeah. during the calendar year. For the broadcast, 
the traditional broadcast pilot season. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So right now it's January, which means we're gearing up as actors to go in and audition for pilots. And they're going to start casting series regulars now through like about mm, February ish. And then March and April would be like lesser roles. And then they'd start shooting in the spring for the fall winter of the next cycle, which means if you're trying to sell a pilot now in January, you're too late for this, this right. go around. Yeah. Cause uh, May's when they announced the shows for the fall. So kind of have to work backwards from there. Mm-hmm. So a, you know, March, April is production and then late April, early May is decision time. And then you go back into January, February is casting. So they're deciding what, what shows to pick in the fall. So November, December kind of. Well, Hollywood shuts down half of December anyway, so it's mostly November, October, November. Yeah. I would say right now would be a good time to kind of see what shows have been re-picked up, what kind of shows are trending, what seems to be like a hot property, you know, well now on all platforms, streaming and regular broadcast, and start taking this time now to come up with your story ideas, craft your pitch, things like that. Fellowships are all, submissions are usually May, June, right? For mm-hmm. the writers. Right? So right now you're, you're starting to see what shows are starting to get renewed. In fact, I think the CW renewed every show they have, which isn't that unusual for them. But <laughs> as you start to see what shows are being renewed, then you can lock in that that's an okay show to write your spec script for, for the fellowships. So that's something else that this time of year, is uh, something writers should pay attention to. Oh, and what's interesting too is we've discussed this before. They seem to push some of the fellowship deadlines back because I used to see fellowship deadlines as early as now. But the other thing that's really interesting is if you have an old spec script and you think, oh, that shows off the air, I'm going to toss it. Don't. Because as an example, um, Universal, for example, I believe by the time this airs, the deadline will be right around the corner or will have passed. I think it's either the 15th or the 17th. But they have an animation writing fellowship that's that's new. And I remember I looked at the uh, requirements and they wanted spec scripts that could have been from Seinfeld or Friends. And I was like, who has a spec script from Seinfeld uh. or Friends? But you never know. So I'm like, wow, you might be able to, didn't you have some stuff from Castle? Maybe dust it off. You might be able to use it in the future. Oh, yeah, obviously, you keep everything, but I, that makes more sense for comedy because, you know, if you're writing and doing an animated show and it's a comedy show, you know, like an adult animation show, you, basically a sitcom is a great, you know, test of how well you can write, you know, a short form, you know, a half hour show. Actually, this was for kids animation. Oh, interesting. That's why I thought, oh, that's interesting. But yeah, I was like, there you go. Your friends are Seinfeld specs dust them off but yeah Hmm. yeah i mean who knows so everything everything old is new again i was gonna do a spec for uh this couple years ago for mindy project and then i realized that the show was ending that season and i was like oh wah wah (laughs) so i didn't write it (laughs) i haven't written a spec in a while maybe this year i'll i'll get in i'll get my butt up and uh do some writing well speaking of what's old is new again the uh, 12 Parsec uh, 
elephant in the room. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars Rise of Skywalker has uh, been destroying records all over the planet. Um, Good and over, bad uh, records. <laughs> I think it's over 700 million worldwide, 750 million worldwide at this point. Saw it, of course. I want to see it again because um, I want to, you know, the first time you go in, all that fan service just kind of plays it to me and, and I get all excited and I don't, I'm not thinking as critically as a writer at that point. And this happened with Last Jedi where, you know, when it first came out, I liked it a lot. And then, as you know, over time, I started to realize the holes and the problems with it. And I heard everyone else's complaints as well. I think I talked you out of liking it. So I apologize. It's, po- it's possible. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the it's the fan service, you know, the pandering, you know, gets, gets you and you're, you're in the moment, the first, especially the first time you see it. And it it takes time for you to kind of like, you know, come down from that euphoric high, you know, the honeymoon period and realize that, you know, that story had quite a few problems. I think, I think um, Rise of Skywalker, I think I was a little more aware of those kinds of things from the get go because I, you know, I don't want to say I had low expectations going in, but Mm -hmm. uh, there were issues that I had that carried over from the last movie that just kind of kept gnawing at me a little bit. How about you? Well, okay, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I think it was good that they brought the original trilogy, trilogy, trio, back together. So uh, Ray, Finn, and Poe, that was good. Mm -hmm. Um, It was so much, I've heard other reviewers say this, that it was just fetch quest after fetch quest. So there really wasn't a lot of characterization. And I think they could have served the story better if they had done a little bit more character work. Yeah. There was a lot of, there was a lot of, um, uh, no, there was, there wasn't a lot of, there was no arc in some of the characters. Yeah. They were, they were um, there were some that like were one joke the whole time. Yeah. Finn was just, I'm going to tell Ray how I feel the whole time and nothing really. And no payoff. Yeah, yeah. No payoff. I think, I think the whole series, the whole new trilogy and Rise of Skywalker in particular is a really good example of should you serve the story or should you serve the fans? Because they didn't serve the story. When you look at the trilogy, the new trilogy as a cohesive unit, it's not cohesive. It doesn't, it, nah. it doesn't build upon each other. And I get that people were upset over Ryan Johnson's screenplay, but you should at least build off of what he did instead of being like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to kind of walk around it because now it doesn't even make sense now they retconned poor uh kelly marie tran um oh that was horrible she was basically they should just call her you know technician for exposition was should have been her title she was an under five yeah and and after having such a big role before it was like and i kind of feel that and you and i have discussed this off podcast it the whole movie kind of felt to me like a really bad rom-com like all the guys are thirsty for ray everything they do is directed towards ray all the girls are thirsty for finn except for ray not being thirsty for finn which is what he wanted but it and then then the whole like finn and and rose thing kind of felt like an awkward like oh we had a one-night stand and now i don't know how to deal with you in person like that everything just felt awkward it was just so freaking awkward and i was like oh Mm -hmm. my gosh like 
in a way, if you look at it like a bad rom-com, it's kind of funny, you know, like, oh, you guys all, that's what's happening here. Okay. You know, and then they introduce a random love interest for, for Poe. Like, why not? You know, let's just have like random, you know, romance everywhere. It was just, what, what? I don't know. It was, it was really bizarre. And, you know, I think that they could have, it's like, fine, you want to bring Palpatine back. Fine. You want to, you know, have these weird explanations for who Snoke was and all that. But then flesh it out. They just were kind of really like, thin. yeah, they were like, Palpatine's back. And that's it. And let's move on. I was like, I was secretly behind it all. Ha 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 ha. And the, the strands that tied that together were just so thin and not imaginative at all. I felt like there could have been so much more to that story. It made everything feel cheaper. Like we went through all this because of that. Yeah. Um, like the stakes were so high, but it was the same stakes as before. Kind of. I mean, it really did feel like in, in the end, this was just another re, you know, uh, the last three movies were just a rehash of the, the three that came before it, the episodes four, five, and six daddy issues, you know, good versus evil not even twisted that much differently. Yeah. I mean, it was just, to me, I was like, I was very sad when I left. I was like, it's, if I hadn't seen what had come before, I would have been fine with it. But because you've seen what's come before. Yeah. There was a lot of like, what happened to that? Or because they, they retconned so many things. Cause they, I guess they, they saw the complaints from, you know, rise of, uh, or, um, the last Jedi and they figure, well, we'll just, we'll, we'll just won't deal with that. Or we'll just kind of, we'll say, we'll give them one or two lines just to kind of blow that away. And we won't have to worry about it anymore. And we'll just move forward. Some of it doesn't even make sense though. Like, okay, now we got to find this little, what do they call it? The wayfinder. I kept calling it the Tesseract, but the little yeah. like, <laughs> um, uh, Sith wayfinder yeah. thing. Okay. So somewhere like someone invented this thing, to find Palpatine on a planet and you created this knife that like you can only use at a certain time to look, you know, at the wreckage of the death star at a certain angle. Like, how did you even know that the death star would land there? I I don't know. I just was like, really? Well, I guess the, the thinking there just goes that it was there. They knew it was there so they could make the knife, but yeah, it seems very contrived. Uh, the Wayfinder is something from uh, some of the canon from the animated shows. I do know that. But if you hadn't watched, you know, the Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels, you wouldn't know any of those kinds of things. See, that's another thing I had an issue with. I have not seen the TV shows. So as a regular person going in, I shouldn't have had to watch the TV shows to understand that. The movie should be a contained unit mm-hmm. and it shouldn't rely on you know, these outside, like when they brought, um, what was it? Darth Maul into solo. Like apparently that was Canon, but I shouldn't have mm-hmm. had to watch the TV shows to understand that ending. Yeah. He had a huge role in star Wars rebels. He was just, an, you know, ridiculous. And, in, and, and in the clone wars show too, he was a major, major character in the animated shows. So, but he pops into a couple of the, you know, one episode of the, the prequels and, a couple episodes of the prequels and suddenly we're supposed to know all of that. Prequels, I get it because they introduce him in the prequels, movie prequels as a bad guy. They introduce him though. 
So that's fine. But when they plopped him into solo and then everyone's like, oh my gosh, that cameo. And I'm like, I don't get it. So that's the other issue I have. I think maybe with the new Star Wars stuff in general is they are so much like it's fan service in the wrong way. Like you shouldn't have to be a fan in everything to understand. You know what I'm saying? Like the movies are a separate thing than the TV show. You shouldn't have to know all of it in order to stand understand a part of it. That's weird. I think. The part that, that threw me for the most loop was the, the whole, how the force can now teleport objects and matter just through your connection to somebody else that, uh, passing things back and forth or, you know, water or dirt or whatever it was that was appearing and disappearing in different places because of Ray and Ren's connection seemed really, you know, I always talk about the, the sci-fi gimme, you know, they, it's like they're asking too much. We've already asked for so much in the sci-fi, you know, aspect of this, this franchise. And that's just one more thing. I know they introduced it with Luke at the end of Rise of, of um, um, The Last Jedi with um, him and Leah, but I felt like that was like a one little gimme, but now here it is as a major, you know, factor in how the movie plays out. And I felt like that was a big ask. I did kind of like that though. I, I thought that was cool when they passed the sword. To it each other. was I cool, liked it. but it was, it was, I was a big ask. I felt, <laughs> well, you know, the, again, having watched, um, I actually just finished watching star Wars rebels. Literally in the last couple episodes of it, they introduced that kind of concept mm-hmm. um, and how the force has some sort of interdimensional connections that, that are more physical than just, you know, ghosts and things. I guess, you know, the, the fact that the universe is constantly uh, being expanded, you know, they can try to get away with that and say, well, you don't know everything about the force. Just because you haven't been told it before doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Uh, we didn't really know that uh, the dark side could, you know, throw lightning at people until, you know, Emperor, Emperor Palpatine did it in, you know, uh, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. So, you know, each time they th- introduce something, they're just showing you a new aspect of it. And, you know, it's space wizard- wizardry, so they can do whatever they want, really. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But I would have liked more... I think really the biggest thing is I just didn't feel connected to the characters overall. And so I would have liked to see more of their struggles internally. Let me ask you this. What was your, what were your favorite points? Because mine was Han Solo coming back, even though it was done as more of a figment of Ren, you know, Ren's imagination, Mm -hmm. that part, that communication, that feeling was one of the strongest points of the movie for me. And obviously there's some fan service there, but I felt like that was story. That was, that was arc there. There was emotion that wasn't just running from, you know, plot point to plot point, you know, you know, the MacGuffins running around trying to find whatever it was. Mm -hmm. What about you? I think the comedy was handled better in this. So I think there was too much comedy in last Jedi and it was weird because it's not a comedic, like it's not a comedic franchise but the comedy in this was in the right places where it was just enough levity and it gave just enough snark so like as an example when they find out that poe was a spice runner 
And they're all like, are we really going to go here? You know, you were a stormtrooper and you were, you know, a, a garbage collector or whatever. That was funny. Yeah. So like, I think the way they'd handled the humor in this was just enough touches where it was like, okay, I can deal with that. That's cool. Um, let me see. What else did I like? Uh, that's pro- probably to me that was the best part was they handled the, the comedy better. <laughs> I thought emotionally it, it, it played well. I think that, you know, again, fan service aside, mm-hmm. we got to see the characters. We got to feel, you know, that this was kind of the end of a journey. And from that perspective, I, I felt I felt satisfied. Mm-hmm. How we got there may have been a rough ride, but I felt satisfied emotionally by the movie, which I think in the end is probably the most important thing, that it doesn't leave you dissatisfied, like with a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, it might not have been structured perfectly. They might have taken liberties, but at the end of the movie, I, I felt like I had reached, you know, a good point where I'm happy with how it ended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's actually an end, I guess is the question. I don't think it will be. <laughs> I think they'll keep going. How about for all of you? What do you guys think of the new Star Wars? I'm sure you've talked about it to death, but we'd love to hear your thoughts anyway. Uh, tweet at us at WG Therapy. Let us know. And let us know how you're preparing for this pilot season. Or I guess next pilot season. And just keep writing. <laughs> and just keep writing. We'll see you guys soon. We'll see you next month.